Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. It's Chris Otto. Very happy to be back with you. Our first podcast of the year. It is Monday, January 10th stateside, Tuesday, January 11th in Australia. Just about six days left till main draw action at the Australian Open begins. And the big story, the big story is obvious. Novak Djokovic. Once again, a free man. He had his passport canceled about six days ago by Australian immigration. On Monday, he got it back. Judge A. Kelly ruled in the Australian federal court that Djokovic's visa is now uncanceled. He's a free man. He headed over to the courts at Melbourne, posed with his team on court, and now all eyes are on Immigration Minister Alex Hawke today. Reportedly, he has a discretionary personal power to revoke Djokovic's visa, so we'll see if he does that, there's a lot of clamor in Australia about Djokovic, both sides of the fence, the Serbian fans, of course, uh, supporting Djokovic wholeheartedly and other people as well. And then some people want him out of there. I don't know what's going to happen. It's been crazy. It's been wild. And it's taken our focus off the sport of tennis, which is unfortunate in some ways because there was a lot, a lot of incredible tennis in the first week of the season. ATP Cup was wonderful. Ash Barty, world number one, doing just that, you know, behaving like she is the world number one. Dominant title in Adelaide also won doubles. Simona Halep wins her 23rd title. Great action, Adelaide, Melbourne, Nadal playing Maxime Cressy in a final. That was an interesting little gem. I hope you guys got a chance to watch that match. Um, just tons to talk about. Richard Pagliaro, my good friend and colleague at Tennis Now, is back. We're going to discuss all of it, starting with Djokovic for about 20 minutes and then moving on to the tennis. So sit tight, enjoy, and we'll see you on the other side. Hey, Richard Pagliaro, great to speak with you. Happy New Year. You ready to talk some Novak Djokovic controversy with me? Chris, it's great to speak with you. Happy New Year. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. It's been a circus. It's been crazy, but <laughs> try to make some sense out of it. To quote the great Rafael Nadal, it has been a circus. I think Garbine Muguruza also used the same term when describing this uh, visa controversy with Novak Djokovic that has basically exploded and captivated not just the tennis world, not just the sporting world, but the whole world over the last week has been glued to what has been happening down under. Yesterday, we learned that Djokovic's appeal was victorious. He is a free man. We saw him today on the courts at Melbourne Park with his team. What do you think of all this, Richard? Uh, get it? I know we're not going to have enough time to cover it all, to give all our thoughts, but get, get me started. What, what do you, what's the prevailing sentiment in the mind of Richard Pagliaro right now regarding this Novak Djokovic situation? Yeah, I think as we stand right here right now, I think he's going to be able to play, and I think it's going to be... 
you know, incredibly captivating and compelling and controversial, and I think it's going to piss a lot of people off, especially locals who live there and who've been through that really, really severe lockdown. I think he's going to have his share of hardcore supporters. You saw them chanting, no lay, no lay, outside the hotel. So I think it's going to be, you know, potentially one of the most, as far as crowd participation, I mean, you're looking at, it's definitely could be a circus. I mean, he's definitely CP. I mean, think back to when Baghdadis made his run and how, how loud those fans were. You're going to have <laughs> Djokovic fans, but you're going to have fans, in my opinion, that are really going to be angry and annoyed about that he's in, that he's playing as as of now he's playing. There's still a chance that, you know, they could, the immigration minister could pull the plug, but it doesn't look likely right now. So I think it's going to be that element of it is going to be really fascinating to watch the actual crowd really, really have a big impact. From his perspective, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this colors his legacy, because remember, he's coming off potentially, arguably, the greatest year of his career, and also, though he didn't complete the Grand Slam at the Open, he got what he always wanted from New York, which was he got love, he got respect, people gave him the ovation, and he finally got what he craved, and now, from a PR standpoint, to me, it's a nightmare where you just completely alienate a large part of the fan base who look at you as... Rightly or wrongly, another pampered, spoiled, multimillionaire who just skirted all of our laws and just came in here and is maybe going to win a 10th Australian Open. So I think you're going to see a lot of people angry about that. But the flip side is he's going to have some really, really fiercely loyal supporters that are going to feel like, hey, you victimized this guy and you've been doing it year after year and now it's now it's payback. I think he's going to maybe even feel like some righteous indignation, like, hey, you guys locked me for seven hours in an interview room, you threw me in an immigration, and I think that's going to, that could really fuel him. He's a very emotional guy, so I think yeah. that could really fire him up, and in a weird way, you know, it could kind of displace the pressure that he feels playing for history, because everybody is talking about this instead of, you know, number 21. <laughs> so it's just a lot of complexities, a lot of sort of moving parts. I, I'm fascinated that he seems to shoot himself in the foot every time he's right on the verge of something major, but I give the guy credit that he's going to he's gonna play. I mean, I don't think it's right that he's playing, but he's there, he's going to play. It's a lot of complexity, as you said, and a lot of moving parts. And, and, and apparently he didn't plan to play this tournament at all until he contracted COVID on December 16th, which to me is so fascinating because I guess he was just going to Maybe behind the scenes he was working on some other way to get an exemption, and then suddenly he did get the COVID, and then it did work out that Tennis Australia and the state of Victoria and their and their and their physicians had deemed it as an effective, what do they call it, a contraindication for having COVID in the last six months, and so this all happened because of a COVID diagnosis on December 16th. Other than that, I don't think he comes to Australia at all, so it's just really strange how it turned out, and of course, the optics are a little bit weird in terms of how, where we are in this pandemic and how polarizing of an issue this has become, and then also Djokovic, of course, as we learned from the court documents, he did contract COVID on the 16th with a positive test and then was out in public on the 17th, has nothing to really do with the nuts and bolts of the immigration case against Australia or Australia versus Djokovic, but it's another weird element to this case, like what was Djokovic going to do if he didn't get COVID, just skip the tournament? 
that's possible if you read into what his dad told Serbian TV. He was basically calling the mandate blackmail, and he also made the comment, look, we'll just get 21 in Paris at the French Open. You know, that's assuming that the other majors that he'll be able to play unvaccinated, if he remains unvaccinated. Yeah, it, it's a really freaky thing when you think that a nine-time champion at a mate going for the biggest record in the history of men's tennis was just going to say, okay, I'm fine, I don't need to play. I mean, that's it's really shocking based on everything he's done there, but then, like you said, based on his position on the virus and on vaxes, it's not that shocking. I mean, this is a guy that he's had COVID before in June of 2020. He's got it again. He doesn't seem to really take it that seriously. So, yeah, it's definitely shocking it turned out, but in a way it's not that surprising given his stance on the vaccine and and COVID. And I think the other thing that kind of rubs people the wrong way is, all those times in the fall, he was really vague about it. Like, yeah, you know, and that's his right not to talk about health, but he was not giving a, a direct answer. We'll see what happens. We're going to wait. So you wonder if behind the scenes they were negotiating the TA and the agent to try to work something out because, you know, the Australian government and like Prime Minister Morrison t- said today, since November, they've been publicly saying, if you're not double vaxxed, you're not coming in. End of story. No exceptions. So that, that, I mean, to me, that's where the TA has to really answer. How was he allowed to get on that plane in the first place? And how did you give him the exemption or the independent panel give him the exemption? Yeah, that's the interesting part. I mean, you got to answer for that. That's the interesting part of it is, um, you know, everybody wants to figure out, well, whose fault is this whole controversy? And a lot of people are pointing in the direction of Craig Tiley and Tennis Australia for sort of not drawing the line and making it either you're, you're vaxxed or you can't come in. And I think the deadline for exemptions was December 10th, so they obviously bent that a little bit. And I get it. They want to get a star player in there. And as you as you and I have talked about, Tylee's a player type of guy. He works for his players. He wants them to have the opportunity to play. And, of course, there's a lot riding on Novak Djokovic being in Australia for the popularity of the tournament, although I think you underestimate the passion of tennis fans if you think that one player – will make a big difference when it comes to who's going to tune into a Grand Slam. But, yes, it makes a difference. Yeah, especially with him, with his track record there. He's won the last three in a row. He's been the most dominant player there. And, you know, the record is right there. It's in his grasp. He'd be the over- he is the overwhelming favorite. The funny thing is, if you looked at the bookies, even when he was in detention, he was still the favorite <laughs> to win the tournament because they were betting he was going to win the appeal and then come out. And win the tournament, but you know you got to also look at the fact he hasn't played since December. He's been sitting in a hotel. He hasn't really practiced. He, you know he's such a physically fit guy. He's so determined and dedicated in terms of his preparation. It, I think it's going to have an effect on him. Although we saw last year, someone like Jennifer Brady, the quarantine she served, went all the way to the final on the women's side. But I think it's a challenge for him for sure. Physically, he's not prepared the way adequately the way he would normally be prepared and then mentally how is all of this craziness can he compartmentalize everything that's happened and just go out there between the lines focus on the ball do what he's got to do can he do that i mean with all the questions everything's swirling around we're going to find out Mm. do you feel that novak was used as a pawn by the government and that the the, you know the federal government prime minister craig morrison were were really opportunistic in terms of using him to score points with the public? I think there's an element to that, but I think you can look at that, the political angle on both sides. You can say that he used that for leverage, saying, you know, 
you know, you guys are trying to make an example out of me, but I think the, the political element is more that the leadership in Australia does it. You, your people in Melbourne just spent basically a year in lockdown, not being able to go anywhere. You don't want to seem that flippant that you can say, we're going to take this guy who's a superstar from another country, and we're not only going to bend the rules, we're going to waive the rule and let him in while you people all all sat and locked down. I think it, the political element is more he's trying to speak to his own people and say, we have your back. We're going to upheld the law that we made you observe, and we're not going to have a double standard here. So I don't think it's so much against Australia versus Serbia, although it's being blown up that way. I think they're trying to protect their sort of authority within within Australia, within their own people, but they come off looking looking pretty bad, too, because he it shouldn't have escalated to this point. You know, it reminds me a little bit of what happened with Osaka at Roland Garros. Like, doesn't anybody have technology or Zoom? Can't anybody get everybody together to work it out before we even get to this point? Because once we get to this point, it's almost li- it's almost yeah. a joke. Well, like that. It's, uh, that you're talking about the, well, the greatest record, one of the greatest records in the history of tennis, one of the greatest champions in the history of tennis, you know, one of the four slams, and that everybody's talking about what a what a mess it is and how ridiculous the whole thing looks. So it's just a bad look for the whole for everybody, really. Mm-hmm. And Tennis Australia d- did have these letters in November sa- stating that uh, prior COVID in the last six months wouldn't cut it, and yet they still granted the exem- exemption, right. which shows that there's a huge lack of communication. And I think the federal government might have been blindsided, given that they did maybe meet some requirements on their part by sending the correspondence, they might have been surprised just to know that Djokovic, when they saw the Instagram post that Djokovic was, had been given given what he called it, uh, I forget what he called it, uh, some kind of exemption he called it. I forgot he had his own term for it. But anyway, when they found out that Djokovic had his exemption, I think they they kicked themselves into action rather quickly, and I guess that's what really led to them being what was deemed unreasonable at border control with Djokovic, right. not allowing him uh, proper time to consult when with, he with in Melbourne. Right. I just think the disconnect between the TA and the government that should not have happened when they when they when you had top government officials in November saying there's not going to be any exceptions if you're not double vaccinated, don't come. Mm. And then, like you said, after you know they even delayed from you know December 10th deadline to December 16th. It just seems like that you know. It was all very 11th hour. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of a rush job, and this is what happens. And, um, you know, so I think for me personally, my view is he shouldn't have been allowed to come in in the first place, but now that he's here and he's won the appeal, let's get out, let's play ball. Let's see what happens. And 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 I think it would be one of the more compelling, you know, Australian Opens that potentially we could ever see as far as a crowd interest and participation. It could be crazy. No, maybe this was the original plan, right? To, let's make our let's make our tournament go viral two weeks before it even happened, so people are basically foaming at the mouth to watch this event, and they got it. Now I saw quotes from uh, Sasha Osmo, a Serbian journalist who's following the story very closely, who's a really nice guy, and I've gotten to know him in person at a few tournaments before. Um, thinking that this is not even a safe situation now for Novak that. There's some dan- There's an element of danger to what be- might be happening. And we saw a little bit of rioting on the streets, fans kind of like climbing up on cars and cheering and you know, being a little unreasonable themselves. There's an element of like, um, there's an element of kind of like this could be combustible a little bit. We better try and keep tabs on how people behave. Uh, 
around Melbourne and at the tournament. I just hope that the situation doesn't get out of hand in terms of craziness. But again, all this, what we call circus, is probably going to help viewing numbers oh, for the for tournament. Oh, for sure. And, you know, it's intriguing to see how will Novak himself, will he do like a pre-tournament presser where he says, this is the only time I'm going to address it and try to tamp, shut it down from there. How is he going to approach that side of it? The PR side of it, the yeah. explanation side of it, the, what, the spin side of it, however you want to call it. How is he going to? How is he going to approach that? And how is the media going to, you know, respond to his approach? Because yeah. there's a lot, a, a lot that's, you know, left unsaid. But I mean, once you get into the rhythm of the tournament and you start getting upsets and things start happening, uh, you know, I do think the focus will eventually get back to the the results because this is historic it's a huge tournament i mean this is you gotta you gotta see it i see i see you wanting to get back to tennis and, and just talk about the tournament but i i feel like i'm not even ready yet because you know one thing yeah. i want to mention is that we're living in a very polarized time in america and abroad and the pandemic has only heightened that sensation of the polarization of you know our us versus them and people with opposing views not getting along at all and you know you have the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers and the people who see this pandemic as a crush on their freedom and their rights and and I feel like I'm not even surprised that it's come to this. It's, fun. it's it's strange that it happened in our sport that we probably have the biggest pandemic related you know, rights related to vaccination story, but it's all been brewing under the scenes for the last year and a half with with people, you know, being reluctant to get the vaccination. I'm 100% for for it and believe it's the right way to go for everybody and I think it's strange that Djokovic seems like he well, you can get COVID even if you're vaccinated, I guess is the point that many people make. But it seems like Djokovic would almost prefer – he's more afraid of the vaccination than he is of COVID and any long COVID effects that he might get, I, I suppose. But it, all this stuff is just – it just makes sense to me that we're here because this is the client – this is like the, the politics of the time. This is the debate of the time and it's this is the polarization we see and it only just it, – it just – keeps rising it seems and it, it just like should we even be surprised that this debate has become front and center in the tennis world no we shouldn't i think what you said there was an air of an inevitability to the, all this that we were kind of careening you know to this point at the same time it's really kind of sad and frustrating that the two biggest tennis stories were peng shui and novak Djokovic with Australian Open because it's such a great, beautiful sport. There's so many positive things, but, you know, it, these are the two major, um, you know, global stories. And as far as the vaccination goes, I think you can look at just the structure of pro tennis compared to, like, the NBA or NFL where you have so many, you know, you have the, the ATP, WTA, you have the ITF, you have tournaments making their own rules. So there's not one person or one entity who can sort of step up and say this is the way it's going to be. For me, it, it, the, the, the real interesting, fascinating thing is what's he going to do if, if, it, if it is mandated, not only for the tour but for the slams? What, right, you know, what happens he, in the next oh, few What slams? does he do? I mean, you just, it's, this is an unsustainable position as far as I'm concerned. You know, and like you, I'm 100% vax and boosted, although I respect anybody, you know, if you have a medical condition, if you have a vascular condition, if you have some sort of breathing issue, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but if you have issues, yeah, I mean, I'm all for people being selective and being careful. My problem is if you show up there as a superstar tennis player, you're on Vax, what does that say to the nurse or the doctor or the healthcare worker in Melbourne who's busting their ass right now and they're vaxxed and they're treating patients, 95, 96% of them are unvaxxed and they're mm -hmm. like, why am I breaking my back to try to help people, try to 
help people get healthy, save their lives, and you guys are just letting anyone in through the back door who has status and money and prestige. And I think that's a bad message to send, you know. Uh, I just think it's unfair. It's not right. So mm. that's just me, but I, you know. Like yeah. I said, I'm, I'm in favor of the back, so... Yeah, I know. You make but it... I think he's a really smart guy, and I think he, he does a lot of good things. As you see, I, look at all the slants, how he just gives gifts to be. I mean, he's a really... He's a I think he's heart. a good-hearted guy. He wants to do the right thing. I just think in this case, maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't, I don't know. I just have no idea where he's coming from. With Like you said, almost like he's more willing to get the virus than... Then get the vaccine. Also, people don't know long term. You really don't know what's going to happen. When people are always like, well, I don't know what's going to happen five years from now with the vaccine. Well, you don't know five years from now what your bout with COVID is going to do to you either. Do you right. ever think about that? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 100% for people having their beliefs. And if Djokovic doesn't want to do the, the vaccine, I'm fine with that. That's what he, it's what he believes. I don't really understand where he's coming from or what, you know, where he's, how he's gotten to that decision. But I know there are a lot of people like him and those people, I guess those people should have freedom. It's this very strange situation. I don't like coming down on anybody's freedom in any way. And that's, that's what, jo that's what Djokovic I think re represents for a lot of people is their freedom is being yeah. kind of, being kind of quashed. Uh, but if the Australian government has a, has a mandate that you have to be vaccinated, then it seems like that's just the way it is. And you have to, you have to deal with that. You have your freedom to a certain extent, but it's a very tricky one because. Uh, oh yeah, I think a lot of people will cast him as a truth teller, as this kind of really noble rebel who's fighting for for freedom. But I think to me, it comes down to like if you invite me to your house for dinner and you say, "Hey, when you get here, we got new carpeting. You know, take your shoes off, please don't." And I just come <laughs> in and track mud all over your house. It's like I'm telling you, I don't give a damn about you or your rules. And similarly, if you go to another country and they have a clear, established rule, and you're like, you know what? I'm just not down for that rule. I'm just going to try to come in Good through point. the window or the back door or the base. It's just not right. It's just not right. you got to respect people when you're in their country. You're a guest. You're a guest. Yeah, sure. very good point. So for me, it's about that. And like I said, I am pro-vax. I am vax, but I'm willing to listen to people who aren't. And when I do listen to them, a lot of them are telling me, well, it's about control and the government. It's like, come on, man about health that's what it's about for me yeah i know i don't buy into that either that it's about control i think they're trying to make the best decisions for the people to keep this pandemic at bay which has killed 5.5 million people everybody's getting it everybody's sick it's not a joke it's not a joke rough I, I, he has kids he's got older relatives like come on man i know he has access to better health care than you and i just based on that but still you got family man think about that i'm with rafa I, if you know if, if, if anybody's speaking my beliefs it would be rafa right now in terms of how he feels about the pandemic but i guess i wanted to mention last thing on Djokovic is that the, i read the vaccination rate in serbia is 50 percent that around 50% that might explain a little bit about the psychology that goes into Novak's decision-making. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I would say is he's a really smart guy, so maybe he's, you know, studied stuff that I'm unaware of. The, the flip side of that is 
if you look and go back and look at the transcripts or just watch the interviews, he's really pretty evasive about it the last, you know, yeah, from the yeah, fall on where he was just like, ah, oh, you know, it's my health, I don't talk. And that's fine. You don't have to talk about it if you don't want. But if you're that convinced, if you're that principled, if it's such, if that's your ideological foundation, then at least step up and talk about it. I mean, at least there's a guy that plays for the Nets, Kyrie Irving, and he's not vaccinated, but, you know, he was, he was up front about it. I'm not vaccinated. I'm not going to, I mean, I can at least respect that. If you're going to take a stand, take a stand. But yeah. to just say, hey, I'm not going to talk about it or I'm selectively going to talk about it, it doesn't tell me that you have a whole lot of faith in your conviction or else why not talk about it? You yeah, know? good point. You're making some good points, Richard. I'm glad we're, I'm glad we get to chat today. Um, maybe we should I, turn. I, just, it's, I find the whole thing frustrating at the same time. It's, you know, it's a real practical problem that, you know, the sport has to deal with and you'd like to see the sport the be more proactive when it comes to the vax, when it comes to mental health, when it comes to gambling, when it comes to PEDs, all this stuff that occasionally pops up, and then, you know, they somehow work around it, and it goes away, and then eight, ten months later, we're talking about some other, you know, they just never, they just always seem to be chasing the tail, and never sort of ahead of the game, which yeah. is, is really sad for the sport, because the sport could explode right now. There's so many marketable, popular players. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, and that's a it's a good segue for us to get into a little bit of tennis. We're going to get into more before the Aussie Open starts, which will be gosh, six days. Um, we had a great week of tennis. I don't really know where to start, Richard. There were a lot. There was a lot of tennis happening. We we did our best to cover it all at tennisnow.com. I'll ask you, where would you start when you're talking about the events of the last week on the court? I would start with with Rafa just because he oh, hadn't yeah, played at an ATP event since since uh, DC August, and I realized he had the one walkover. He didn't play a lot, but still he played and came through. And also Monfi for me was a was a big thing Monfils because he spent so much turmoil. Like a year ago, he was going through all the the problems. He had split with Alina, all this, and now he's really seemed to get it together and really seems to be in a good headspace, playing with a lot of joy and and just thirty five years old for the guy to win another title great and also canada you know you got to give it up for canada too okay all right so i'll backtrack and give a give a point on each one of those first of all nadal the greatness it never stops 19 consecutive years winning an atp title it looked very good doing it what it wasn't flawless by any means benefited from a walkover but did not drop a set really reacted well in my opinion in the final to a very unconventional unconventional and disruptive game of American Maxime Cressy did a great job, you know, weathering the storm, getting through a breaker, finding a way to break in the second set. I think what a great step he's taken towards being a relevant contender for the Aussie Open. Monfils, pure joy to watch. Had the pleasure of watching the semifinal with uh, Thanasi Kokonakis closely. I thought Gael looked incredible. I thought he was quick. I thought he was smart on the court, playing with a lot of passion, making a lot of great shots. It looks like potentially he could get back to that level we saw him at in 2020 just before the pandemic hit when he was really one of the top you know, seven, eight players in the game. Um, and then your last one was the ATP Cup, which was a very special moment for Canada. We've known about how Denis Shapovalov and Felix Ogie have struggled on Sundays, losing a lot of finals. Ogie of course, 0-8 at ATP Finals. Well, this was a Sunday in Sydney, and they took care of a Spanish duo that is very tough to deal with, Pablo Carreño Busta, 
Roberto Batista Agu and swept the final. Great moment for two young players who were still very much in development mode. And I think this will be a huge step for them moving forward in terms of winning big matches. We know the talent's there with these two, but they haven't been able to close the door and lock up big titles. Maybe this is that step. I sure hope so, because they're two of the most charismatic, exciting players to watch, and that they did it together, given their backgrounds as buddies and as you know, junior players. It was great to see, and also that he beats Zverev, that Felix beats Zverev. I mean, that's a huge... First top match. five win. Yeah, massive win for his confidence. And people forget, you know, the 0-8 finals, it's something he's going to wear until he wins one, but he's still so young. I mean, he's so young, this guy has... He has it ahead of him. He really has it ahead of him. So that's great. And the one I neglected to mention was Simona Halep because, um, you you. know, major life and career changes over the past year and just really banged up with that calf. It's a bad injury for someone who relies on their legs so much, a knee injury, that she was able to really work so hard and come back right out of the box and and, uh, take a title. I believe her first title on Australian soil, too, although she was an Australian Open finalist. Just great start. And also her comments are very positive. And to hear her say, I want to get back to the top ten, I think I can get back to the top ten. It, it, it's great because she's, she's just a real wonder to watch when she's playing well. Yeah, 23rd title for Simona Halep. You have to think she's uh, already back at 15 from 20 in this week's rankings, which is a nice step. You have to think she's going to finish the season. It's cool when a player with that type of pedigree, you know, two slams, is kind of angling for a top 10 finish. It's it's nice to see them kind of have that goal and think about it. It'll be special if she gets back to the WTA finals. And I think I think she could even get higher than top 10. She could probably win a slam and go back into the top five, but she'll definitely be one to watch. I hope that she stays healthy this year. I, uh, since we got onto the women, it's like Ash Barty. You know, people, people keep saying like uh, – She's benefited from the way the rankings were sort of frozen, staying at number one for so long. But boy, she she is the reigning queen of the WTA, and she continues to impress and dominate and do it with her serve and do it with her tactics and do it, do it with her, her finesse. She's got so much talent, and I think in a lot of ways, it's strange to say, she might be underrated. Totally, 100% agree with you. I think people look so much at her size and, oh, it's she, her backhand isn't that great, you know, that that they think she has holes and I think it's the exact opposite that her versatility in her the comprehensive nature of her game that makes her so tough that she can switch it up and also look what she did in doubles she really knows how yeah. to use the net the front court the mid court and if you saw when Halep won Halep was talking about how Galyabek gave her such a tough match because of the slice because she can reset the point because she can play angle and also keep the ball low and people don't understand how tough that is when you look, you look at the two-handed backhand on the women's tour, it's pretty much the signature shot. When she can make you scrape balls off your shoelaces like that, pop the ball up, and then she can step around and bang the forehand. I mean, that's a great formula, and she's so good at the net. Her overhead is rock solid. She's one of the best servers in the game. I think people really, really underestimate her. And I think part of it is the schedule, and part of it is... Uh, just her game, that she physically doesn't look that imposing. But, you know, Hingis wasn't physically imposing either, and she's one hell of a player. So I think people I think people are selling her short. I think she's also great on every surface, you know. And now that she's got Wimbledon to go along with Roland Garros, I think, obviously, she wants to end this drought and win the Aussie Open. But winning a major on a hard court is going to be the, the big goal for her. And obviously, she's, she's very capable of doing that, including this month, maybe. Yeah. 
five foot five and and put it put a seventeen ace performance in one of those matches in Adelaide and yeah like you said won the doubles uh, I think she won seventy seventy five percent of her second serve points in the final against Rybakina with eight and that was a, that was a large amount of points eighteen of twenty four which just shows the intelligence of her game is is, is yeah. the thing that I love. Like she, she knows exactly what her strengths and weaknesses are, mostly strengths, might I say. And she knows how to use them against what players. She's a great game planner. She's got a great coach. There's just so much to like about. So much to like about. And also the sort of the variety. She's not just stepping up to the line like, oh, I'm going to blow 120 by you. She's hitting slice to drag you into the doubles alley. The second serve, she's hitting a kick over your head. I mean, she really mixes it up thoughtfully and shrewdly. And to set up the strike, she she really plays the game on a deeper level than than a lot of opponents. And people always think they're going to get to her backhand, but who can make her? Who comes? Who is comfortable enough coming to the net relentlessly to make her pass off the backhand? There's not many people you can say that are comfortable doing that. Yeah. Maybe Cressy. Yeah, <laughs> oh wait, wait, he's he's in the men's he's in the men's store. Uh, um, you gotta bring a Valgulagar out of retirement. <laughs> you, yeah, Cressy, that's a good one. Um, me, answer, um, yeah. we haven't covered everything. I just want to like I'm gonna rapid fire for the last few hey, minutes. Thanks for getting Cressy in there. I like him. Yeah, I'm glad, and he was a final, you know, as a qualifier. Uh, that's great. Oh well, yeah, and, well, uh, let's talk about him because Cressy as a serve and volleyer is very nuanced, very capable yep. he's he knows what to do with his volleys better yep. than maybe any player on the tour he knows if he can make a winner he knows if he can just put it deep to a weak spot and and play for the next shot he's really patient he doesn't mind hitting two or three volleys his smash is flawless he's quick to get to the net his serve is obviously incredible he can serve just a, a boatload of aces without even coming in but he is so impressive as a servant volleyer. And I've, I saw some people complaining about who wants to watch this type of tennis after he beat Dimitrov, which was a very impressive win in the semifinals. Oh, very impressive. And, and um, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding? You don't want to watch this kind of tennis. Nobody plays it as well as, as Maxime Cressy does right now. I mean, there are guys who serve and volley very well. And Novak Djokovic is, is a guy who does it not quite as often, but does it well. But nobody, for guys who do it that many times in a match, Nobody does it as well. This dude came to the net 54 times in two sets against Dimitrov, who's a really damn good net player himself. 54 times. I think Dimitrov came in 11 times. I mean, think about that. 54 times. This guy's coming. Plus, he's got the reach. He's a real long, lanky guy, and he's... I mean, it's yeah. just really, really hard to pass. And like you said, it's one thing to get up there at the net. It's another thing knowing where to place the volley, whether to play the short drop volley, the angle volley, play deeper. I mean, he just understands the positioning at the net and where to place the volley. And I mean, I think yes, people yes, are insane yes. if they don't like watching. This guy is exactly what you need. He's a contrast to everybody, especially he salivates when he sees guys 10 feet behind the baseline to return. I mean, he's looking at that like that's a free ride for him. He just comes in and, and dumps the drop volley. You can't if you're Usain Bolt, you can't cover that distance. So he, I mean, he's got a he's got a totally unique game and it, and it's aggressive, assertive game, and he can make the opponent feel really, really uncomfortable. And his serve can be 
huge one. He went he had seventeen aces one of those matches. Yeah. He's a, I mean he's a talented guy. On the right court, you know, obviously not on a clip, but on a fast surface. He's yeah. it'll be it'll be interesting to see how fast the Australian Open is and, and how that plays for him. But he and he has enthusiasm too. He really likes to play, so he's fun to watch. Yeah, no he's also I mean everybody loves a guy that will sit at changeovers reading through his notes. <laughs> He's very studious. He's very studious. It's pretty cool to see him do that. But he's also, he's not flashy. He's not like a Michael Lodra like that, that right. makes these gorgeous volleys that make you just groan with joy. He, he's right. not super flashy. He's economical and efficient. He, he, he wants to win the point. He doesn't want to, to get beauty points. But I think he, to me, it's a beautiful style of tennis and he plays it beautifully. And um, So it he's is. definitely a guy it to watch. Is. And he's up to 75, by the way. After this week, 37 points in the rankings, which is, means we're going to see a lot more to, of him in main draws, which is great for me. I'll move on because there were some other stories at ATP Cup. It's, it wasn't just about Canada. Daniel Medvedev was incredible, but but I really want to hit on Roman Safulin, who kind of became this year's Aslan Karatsev and just played some incredibly impressive tennis for a guy ranked 167. He's a former Grand Slam junior champion back in 2015. This could be another Russian guy that benefits from hanging around with the with the Medvedevs and Rublevs of the world and starts to show what he's capable of on the big stage. Every year they seem to come out with a secret weapon, men or women, and he is this year's secret weapon. And for him, I think that he knew Medvedev and all the other Russian guys coming up there just so he knew he's comfortable around them, but still to step up on that stage... You know, and they were defending champions. Also, he delivered. That guy really played well. And, uh, you know, he's playing this week, too, in the tune-up tournament. So let's see what he what he brings. I mean, he's, yeah, he looks, he looks dangerous. What else did you see at ATP Cup? I mean, there are some people who are critical of this event. And, you know, granted, it's a little bit weird to have the ATP Cup, I think, less than a month from the Davis Cup, which it's a little bit of a whirlwind there in terms of team competitions. But I saw a lot of good matchups. I enjoyed watching... Hubert Hurkacz, of course, playing some big matches. You, you get a lot of big names, kind of. I th- for me, it seems like a great way to warm up for a Grand Slam season. You don't, ha- you're not knocked out of a draw after one loss. You get to kind of play two, three, four matches against pretty much elite competition, especially if you're your team's number one. To me, I thought it was a pretty cool event. I, I, I don't know if it's something worthy of freaking out about, but I don't think it's like a failure. No, I don't think so either. And I think you got to take into consideration COVID this year and how many guys who went to Abu Dhabi came down with it afterwards. So I think it's just one of those, it's, you know, like some years Hotman Cup was really good and some years maybe it wasn't quite as good. But I also think about like the Italian team, just their practices together or Canada, their practice. I mean, it's great preparation, I feel, for, for the AO. Yeah, Yannick Sinner looked great. You can see, you can, you know, he's just such an impressive young player to watch. You can see that he's yeah. going to be a force this year. It was, it's kind of a nice preview to watch a lot of different players. To um, Dimonor playing for Australia was was particularly amazing to watch. Um, Arthur Rindernech of of Rinderneck. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, but um, he was pretty. A lot of impressive under the radar players that were playing number two singles that I enjoyed watching. Uh, Camille. Uh, Majak of Poland is kind of a you know, guy's ranked outside the top 100, but has a lot of talent. It's nice to be introduced to these types of players as well. To me, that's part of the fun of that competition. I mean, other than seeing, you know, of course, uh, and it was good to see Sitsipas back and to to kind of get a feel for where he is. I guess this is maybe the last thing I'll talk about is that Stefanos is not quite perfect with his elbow, and I don't know if we can expect that much from him at this Australian Open. That being said. 
I think he's fine in terms of his recovery. I just don't think he's going to hit peak form until, you know, Indian Wells or maybe even the clay season. So I think have to take it all with a grain of salt from probably here, maybe the next month, because he's still very much feeling his way through after having elbow surgery just, I think, six weeks ago. Yes, and he noted he felt it most on the serve, so you hope that's something that will, as time passes, that'll kind of work itself out because this is a guy that's been in the AO semis two of the last three years and beat Rafa last year, so you know he's a major. If he's healthy, it's just how healthy is he? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a th- that's the thing. I, I don't know if it's going to be his time right now, and I hope he doesn't push too hard and you know have any setbacks with that elbow because he's if he doesn't win Australia. He'll, he can always come back next year, and I'd rather just not see him set himself back for what he's capable of doing on the clay season because, you know, he, he's, he can have a great year. Yeah, I would expect him to. Uh, I, I want to keep going. I want to say that Dan Evans also impressed me at um, at ATP Cup. I want to say that Taylor Fritz for the, for the Americans looked pretty strong at a couple nice wins. These are teams that didn't make the semifinals or didn't make it all the way, but but um, Taylor Fritz is a guy I've got my I'm kind of keeping my eyes close on. He seems like he's re- ready to get into the top twenty, maybe make a push for the top ten this year. I think he's close to being ready to be, uh, you know, be at his best form. Especially coming off that Indian Wells great result, and look at what he did in Australia last year. He didn't know that great match. I mean, he's he's definitely got the weapons. You just wonder the the. I, I, the only thing that concerns me about him is the movement compared to these yep. those other top guys. But he's got the skills. He's got the strokes. Big server, and he's willing to pull the trigger. But he's playing with more patience now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. It's a shame, you know, that uh, Brooksby's won't be there, and neither will Nishikori. But yeah. uh, I want to see I, I want to see Fritz really step up really a thoughtful player too really thinks deeply about the game and understands the game right right that was part of the maybe the most fun was watching him talk to michael russell during changeovers of his matches <laughs> he's uh yeah. he's so invested in it in the, yeah. the x's and o's of the sport and it was interesting to hear him he's the only guy who was really mic'd up that you can hear super well talking tactics the whole time it's pretty interesting but yeah, it's a, it's a it's been an interesting week for sure, Richard. And we've got a lot more to look forward to. Let's let's hopefully reconvene and make this a regular connection during the season. Thank you for your thoughts on Novak Djokovic and for your insights on the tour. And uh, it's always a pleasure to catch up. Let's do it again soon. Thanks so much, Chris. Happy New Year. Thank you. This edition of the Lucky Lead Court Podcast is a wrap. Thank you guys for listening. It means a lot if you. Um, have the time and you enjoy the podcast rate review subscribe on apple podcast just type in lucky let cord podcast and voila you will find us it would uh we'd appreciate your listenership and we it does mean a lot to us um and if you're following the Djokovic story we'll keep you up to date at tennisnow.com that's www.tennisnow.com you can also hit us on social at facebook.com slash tennis now and on twitter at tennis underscore now and there's a lot of news happening with Novak situation and with the tennis that's going on stuff's breaking fast you can always find us on the web or on social and we'd love it if you do um, I hope we I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast we did our best to kind of break down a really complicated and constantly evolving situation and give a little bit of our opinions on it as well it's really been wacky it's one of those things we're going to remember forever I think I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but Anyway, Australian Open is coming, and it's the Happy Slam, and we're hoping it's going to be a happy one. So stay tuned, and we'll probably be back by the end of the week with a little bit of a draw preview coming up next. So thanks for listening, and see you next time.